friends, and welcome to the CU Insight Network podcast. My name is Lauren Culp. I'm the publisher and CEO at CUinsight.com. And it's my job on this show to have conversations with the thought leaders who support the credit union community. We get to identify those issues that affect credit unions and have a discussion on the best practices that exist so that we can all gain a few nuggets and learn from one another to improve our credit unions. My guest on today's show is Kelly Flynn. She is the National Sales Director at JMFA. Kelly, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. We always start the show off the same way, which is to say that most of us did not grow up thinking that we would get to work with credit unions. Most of the people I've talked to in the credit union community and industry had no idea what they were <laughs> before they started working with <laughs> them. So I'm curious, what did you want to be growing up? Believe it or not, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I love sports. I love football. I love baseball, F1. But unfortunately, I was in college in the late 80s, early 90s. And back then, that was just an anomaly. You did not see female sports broadcasters. So I always thought that would be fascinating. I love sports. I probably watch more sports than my husband does. And I'm I'm actually glad to see female broadcasters now in the mix. I think it's great. But yeah, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I have to say, you have a voice that sounds like it would be an amazing broadcasting voice. <laughs> I um, I worked on a radio station in, in college. It's student run, KWBU, and I did the weather and the the um, oh traffic and stuff like that back down in Texas. But yeah, just thought it would be fun. But unfortunately, my my professors were, were always telling me it was a pipe dream. You know, there would never be sports female broadcasters, and you know, here we are, twenty twenty three, and you, you know, you see them everywhere. So I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. That's amazing. All right. Well, you're not a sports broadcaster, but still have a really, really cool role now. So tell us a little bit about what the journey was like to your role as the national sales director at JMFA. Well, it's funny because it kind of ties into your first question when you when you mention, you know, most don't grow up in the credit union industry. And, and I actually think I'm probably one of the few that really did. I have an interesting background. My my mom was a SEG ambassador for a credit union in Dallas for a number of years. So I grew up going with her to the annual member meetings, you know, where they would introduce and talk about what had happened through the credit union throughout the year and and so on. And then after college, I actually was a marketing director at a credit union in Baton Rouge. And then went to work for a company called Liberty that many people might remember, but back in the 2000s, early 2000s, it was a company that focused only on servicing and uh, working with credit unions. And then about 15 years ago, I moved over to JMFA and actually helped start this program, the Contract Optimizer Program. So in, in some way, my whole life has kind of been tied to the credit union movement. All my you know, car loans and student loans and everything, mortgages have always gone through a credit union. And for that reason, I, I guess I just have this natural affinity with the credit unions and enjoy really working with them. So it was just a, a perfect fit for me to come over to JMFA. What a cool story. And I love to hear that the unique stories of people who did grow up in the credit union communities. That that's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's rare. But yeah, I mean it's it's just it's a great group of people to work with and love it and wouldn't wouldn't change anything about it. Amazing. Well, for JMFA, tell us what is the elevator pitch that you would give folks about what you do? I know you said you helped sort of start the program there. What do you do and where do you add value for credit unions? So basically what Contract Optimizer is, it's it's our program that focuses on helping credit unions evaluate and negotiate their third-party vendor agreements. 
our team really kind of comes in and helps an institution pick apart those, you know, massive complex invoices that, to be quite honest, most people don't even understand, you know, because they can be so lengthy, number one in nature, but also so very complex. And so our program really focuses on helping institutions kind of pick them apart, find out, you know, exactly what are they paying these vendors in exchange for their business, and then, you know, help them either evaluate those costs or renegotiate it for renewal business or even help them look for new providers. And a lot of times, you know, that is what it is. I mean, it's not just about pricing, especially in today's market. It really needs to be about finding the best partner to work with, you know, that can help enhance or, or further vision, you know, the strategic goals of the institution. So, we're there to kind of just come in and help them really figure out what are they doing? What are they paying those vendors? And and could there be a possible better solution out there? That is so cool. And I think definitely a, a need for credit unions. And I know you spend a lot of time really talking with credit unions to kind of understand some of their biggest challenges that they face. And some of the key priorities that we were talking before the show. So you mentioned hearing maybe reduced member friction, increasing some digital capabilities, improving efficiencies, but still kind of managing some expenses within the tech stack. So tell us more about some of those biggest challenges that you've heard credit unions talking about. And and can you talk to how JMFA really works alongside credit unions to support them in these priorities? Right. So basically our team, what we're doing is when we're working with a credit union, I kind of envision us as as being an extension of their staff, meaning we're we're basically stepping into the role of maybe an extended staff member, you know, somebody there to really help them with projects, whatever it might be. Our goal, and I should say more importantly, probably our job is not really to only help management reduce current expenses, which don't get me wrong, that that's a critical area right now, especially with inflation and CPI and all of that. Obviously, everybody is really focusing on expense reduction. But like I mentioned before, you know, we're really there to also help better align them or or make sure that they are aligned with the best strategic partners for their goals. You know, when you talk about digital capabilities or reducing member friction, really all of that, I don't want to say was a result of COVID because it was there before, but it was definitely accelerated by COVID. And I think if you know anybody in the marketplace could tell you that the financial institutions that had a really robust online presence, you know, they they had it together prior to COVID. When the world shut down and they were able to pivot, you know, almost immediately, what seemed like overnight from maybe a brick and mortar branch to an online, you know, a digital online full capability branch. Those are the institutions that really thrived. They succeeded. They, you know, they they held their own. And, you know, what I find most institutions now is they want to push forward with technology because the world is changing at a rapid pace, but they're also kind of holding back. They don't want to, you know, because of high inflation, because of rising costs. And so I think credit unions are really going to have to, I don't know, maybe kind of balance that whole thought process because what you've got is you've got such a, a very diverse generation, all these different generations within the country. I mean, I'm in my 50s. I have two high schoolers. 
And what I need and what they need and what I want and what they want are completely different. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm talking apples to oranges with my kids. I'm like, I don't understand what's, you know, what's coming out of your mouth. But what people need to recognize, and I should say credit unions need to recognize, is they're going to have to be able to serve all of those different groups, right? They can't just stay status quo. They're going to have to find out how do they serve and really reach out and embrace serving these younger kids. I, I still use a check. I, I you know, it, it's crazy, but I do still write checks. Um, I still use my debit card. I don't always use contactless. My credit union probably doesn't want to hear that, but you know, I sometimes forget that I have a contactless card in my billfold. My kids, on the other hand, they only want to use Apple Pay or Google Pay or Zelle or you know, so. Credit unions are really going to have to figure out how can they offer all of these services to serve and really cater to all different age groups, you know, across the country. The other thing that you, you know, obviously that you turn on any TV at any given point, look at a commercial that comes across and right now they're competing not only with the brick and mortar building of a credit union or a community bank down the street, but now they have to compete against a digital online bank, right? That's, you know, an advertisement will pop up during an NFL Sunday game. So it's a really different universe. And I think credit unions are really going to have to balance, you know, how do they keep pushing forward with technology while managing those current expenses? And then also, how do they remove friction from their member. And, and by that, I mean, like I had a conversation just, just earlier this week with a small credit union out in Illinois, and they're looking for a new core processor. One of their main initiatives is to make the whole banking process more seamless and efficient for their member. Because right now, when a member wants to do some type of transaction via credit card or whatever, they have to log into one site, log out of a site, log back into another. And so, there's all of these different little hiccups and road bumps for that member to get their transaction, you know, from point A to point B. And I think credit unions are really going to have to figure out, okay, how do we remove that friction? How do we make it as easy and as seamless as possible to serve our members so that they are, uh, you know, having satisfied members? Um, but I think the world is definitely a different place. And, and, you know, I think everybody just has to embrace the different changes um, while, like I said, pushing forward with technology, but at the same time, also managing those expenses and reducing the costs with the with the current providers. Of course. Well, I love too that you talk about eliminating as much friction as, as you can. I remember back when I was setting up Apple Type for the first time, and uh, don't tell anyone, but I have an American <laughs> Express card. And I was setting that up at the same time that I was setting up my credit union debit and credit card. And, you know, the American Express one, I just typed in a PIN number that I got texted and it was good to go. And the credit union card was like, okay, well, first you have to do this and then you have to log into online banking and then we'll give you this email code, but then you'll have to call us and then wait on hold and then press the right number. You know, it was like a really long time. Yeah. Consumers are seeing, you know, the ease of use and some of these, whether it's, whether it's financial services or not, even Amazon and Google and Facebook and, and expect that from their credit unions. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's a whole different world. You know, when I talk to my kids about things that I used to have to do, whatever it might be, they just look at me like, 
you're crazy. You know, so it is. It, it And you're right. Amazon. <laughs> Amazon <laughs> has made it very easy to go shopping. I mean, I on any given day, I'll look out and my kids have put 10 things in a cart. I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, you know, so, it, you know, no, no, you, you used to have to drive to a store, you know, and, and you didn't get everything delivered within the next day and so on. So, but you're right. I mean, you know, just look at all the different services. I mean, waiter, all, of, you know, anything. Everything is is about ease. And I think, like I said, I mean, COVID didn't necessarily obviously create that, but it did change us. And it, it does change how people bank and how people think. And I think credit unions have to embrace that. My feeling is, unfortunately, if they don't, they will get left behind. You know, people want it to be easy and, and credit unions really kind of need to think about, okay, how do we make this as easy as possible for our members to to bank, you know, can they open their accounts online, right? Do they have to come into a branch and physically sign papers? And, and we saw a lot of that change with COVID, but there are still credit unions out there that, that don't have some of those services. And so they have to kind of embrace that. And that's why you talk about, you know, how does that work with their existing legacy services, their existing legacy cores and legacy providers? And, and honestly, you know, you think about everything that's happened and and I know a lot of CEOs are really short staffed their resources are are slim they don't have time and that's kind of where we kind of come into to play as well because they may not be aware of what new technology has come out you know what what has been introduced you know talk about digital issuance you know you don't the card processors that can issue a debit card right to your smartphone. You know, they they don't have to come in and get a plastic card from the branch. They don't have to wait for mail to, you know, the post office to deliver a plastic card. You know, there's been a lot of uh, technology improvements about how do we serve these members better and faster and quicker so that we get, you know, our card into their hands and, and they're, you know, off their way, uh, conducting business however they need to. Wow. Well, I I can certainly see where the support from the JMFA team would be really, really beneficial for credit unions, especially with, with all the things we're talking about. And I know a lot of credit unions lean on that sort of vendor support or third-party support that, that they can get from a good industry partner. And I know there are a lot of other areas that you support credit unions with at JMFA. Can you share more on that and, and why so many credit unions really choose JMFA as a partner? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've we've probably been around, man, about 40 years, maybe a few more than 40 years now. And I know we've worked with thousands of institutions across the country. We're primarily known in the industry for our overdraft privilege program. We were one of the pioneers. So I kind of always tell, you know, any sales, any new sales rep or new employees that start with JMFA, I don't know why, but in my mind, I see this picture of a of like of a balance scale. On one end, you know, one side is, you know, net interest income. On the other side is expense reduction. And I think they really, I don't know why, but they go hand in hand. They kind of balance each other out. And so we have one side of our company that focuses on that that area. And that can sometimes be a controversial area. You know, people get a little spooked and scared. And you have to make sure that within that ODP program, courtesy pay, you, you have to make sure you get it right. And and it, it just has to be right. You know, there's there's no gray in that area. And I and JMFA does a fabulous job of making sure that credit unions get that right. On the other hand, you've got the the expense reduction. So 
both kind of go hand in hand where they can positively impact the bottom line for a financial institution. The other thing that we help with is is checking accounts, acquiring checking accounts. It's still the same old as it was, you know, when I was a marketing director back in the 1990s for a credit union. Obviously, your checking account, your share draft account is your PFI, right? If you can get that account get them tied to a debit card, even better, get them set up on bill pay and online banking and all of that, then then you are you know, considered to be their PFI, their primary financial institution. So we can actually help credit unions with checking accounts, acquiring checking accounts and making sure that those members do become that primary financial institution. You know, they have that tie to the credit union. Um, but overall, you know, we're, we're here to help. JMFA has been, you know, helping credit unions for over 40 years now. And, and like I said, we love, you know, we love helping those credit unions. It's just such a cool thing to hear about the evolution too of the uh, products and, and services that you offer at JMFA. Now I know there there can sometimes be, be a misconception that utilizing a consultant could impact the direct relationship between the credit union and the vendor too. So could you share your thoughts on that and how JMFA really approaches that? Sure. So and it's funny because I do get the question a lot, normally from CEOs, you know, where they want to know, well, if they engage with us, how is it going to affect the relationship? And I can tell you, and I'll be honest, 15 years ago when we started the program, there was some resistance from the vendors. You know, it was kind of a new thought process to have a consultant come in and help a credit union, you know, look at the pricing and so on. But as the years have gone by, I can tell you those walls have really come down. We rarely, if ever, get any pushback from a vendor. And I think that's because we have a maybe a different approach, meaning know, from the credit union side of the table, from you know, from if I'm looking at a table and negotiations are going on, and from the credit union side, we're sitting with the credit union on their side of the table and we're helping them uncover opportunities for savings reductions. and But while at the same time, we're helping them uncover opportunities or maybe needs for new products and services, right? That once again, help align with their strategic goals. On the vendor side, that vendor may not know at all that this credit union has some of these initiatives in mind. And so when we come and work with the vendor, we're not only trying to get maybe a reduction in costs on existing services, but oftentimes we're bringing to their knowledge, hey, this credit union has these specific goals in mind, and we think some of your products and services might align with those goals. Or, you know, these are the goals that they have in mind. What do you have that could complement and work with, you know, their strategic vision? So, in that capacity, we're actually bringing some new a new revenue stream to the vendor, meaning they might have more products and services injected into that credit union. So that's a win for them. If we're bidding out a product, let's say we've got a, a credit union that wants to look at various different card processors. Maybe they've been with a card processor since they started their debit program, you know, 20 some odd years ago, and they really have no idea what's out there. So then we'll go to a vendor and say, hey, you know, we're working with a credit union down in Mississippi. And, you know, would you be interested in talking to them? So I think in, if you're if we're approaching it that way and we're uncovering the needs of the credit union and we're going to the and, and working with the vendor to help really align them, I, I think it's a win-win. And I think in in any negotiation process, it's got to be a win-win for everybody. I think when it, it isn't a win-win, I think when somebody walks away you know, regardless, one party walks away maybe feeling like they were taken advantage of um, and it 
possibly leaves a sour taste in their mouth. I think that is when the relationship could go bad. And I think that that could definitely have an impact on that relationship. So our goal is not to come in and to step on anybody's toes or to disrupt a relationship. You know, we're really there as a facilitator with the dialogue. You know, if I've got to stay on top of a client to say, hey, (laughs) you know, we need a response, you know, because the vendor needs a response. We're going to do it. We're going to push it. You know, we're there to help everybody really complete that process and, and make it as efficient as possible. And like I said, I think everything needs, I think everybody needs to come away with a win-win. And so our job is really there just to kind of be that bridge between the vendor and the credit union and make sure that that's what, that's what gets done. Well, thank you so much for sharing that approach. I think that that is one that would really resonate with with a lot of credit unions out there. So it does not surprise me at all that you all work with so many credit unions. Switching gears for a moment here, you know, as we look to the future, there are a lot of things on everyone's mind right now. And the economy may be forefront right now, but what new trends are you seeing emerging in financial services? And, and what would JMFA's focus really be for the road ahead? Yeah, once again, you know, it's it's really going to be just digital offerings, making it as seamless as possible. You know, I mentioned earlier digital issuance, which I think is just so cool. You know, the fact that a credit union could just really issue a card straight to someone's phone. I mean, wow, you know, if you said that would be possible back in the early 2000s, it would have seemed like, you know, something out of Star Wars. So, you know, I think really just pushing forward on digital components. I'll tell you one other area that we're having a lot of conversations about and that you mentioned the economy and inflation and that is CPI. You know, there has been a definite spike over the last 12 months. And and what does that do to a vendor cost, especially if there was no price cap built into that contract? So we are seeing institutions be more cautious, have a little bit more concern about what are the rising costs, how is that impacting in time directly to their vendor costs, and what is that doing to their bottom line? And I think that's just areas where you know people really want to focus on right now, like I said, is, is expense reduction and making sure that um, you know, they're not overpaying for services. Amazing. Well, really cool to hear about your focus for the road ahead. And, and I think, you know, to your point, digital is not going anywhere. <laughs> right. Anything, it'll be here more- to stay. Yes, yes. correct. <laughs> well, as we wrap up the show, we always like to have some fun with rapid fire questions to let our listeners get to know you better. We like to say the questions are rapid, but your answers don't have to be. So if you're ready, we will dive in here. All right. I'm ready. Okay. First question. What is a recent purchase you didn't know you needed that has just become something you can't live without? Um, my Lululemon tennis shoes. <laughs> they're what? awesome. They're just awesome. They're they're fabulous. And I, I may never wear another, another brand. They're awesome. Uh, okay. Question then. Follow-up question yes. here. Uh-huh. Um, I am a big Lululemon sort of guilty pleasure shopper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which version? Because I think that they have, don't they have three? They have a run. Oh, oh I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I have no idea, but they're not a thick sole and they're really cool. They're gray and they're hot, like a hot orange, neon orange. Sure. And my kids were like, oh my gosh. But, but I've actually gotten quite a few compliments on people walking up to me, asking me where, where I got my tennis shoes, but boy, they are comfortable. And I've, I've never, I've always, you know, bought their athletic wear and things like that but I've never bought their shoes. And I just actually bought my, that was my Christmas gift to myself was a pair of their tennis shoes and they're fabulous. Right. I love it. Well, we'll link to the shoes here for anyone who's interested. <laughs> yeah, really. 
All right, Kelly, when you hear the word success, who's the first person that comes to mind for you and why? Oh, that would be my dad. And he had a way of adapting and pivoting when things did not go his way in in his businesses. And I think that's crucial. I think a successful person needs to be flexible enough to adapt, to change around them, and be able to overcome when things don't go their way. And I think if, if somebody can master that, if they can be flexible and they can adapt and pivot and reinvent themselves, then I think they'll always be successful. I love that. We, we get parent quite a bit from, from yeah. folks on this question. That's, that's amazing. All right. A random question for you. What are you listening to most right now? Okay. I'm, I'm awful. I don't listen to audiobooks. I know everybody else does, and but I don't. I, I like the physical feel of a book in my hand. But what I listen to the most is my streaming service in my car. In fact, my son the other night asked me, when was the last time I listened to the radio? And I think it's been over a year, which is horrible. But yeah, I, I love my streaming service with my music and, you know, it caters to you. And, you know, once again, ease, right? I mean, they're giving me what I want to hear. So, you know, I, I listen to it all day long. That is awesome. I love that. I'm a big music listener also. So that that resonates with me. All right. Any books that you have gifted? I know you said you like the physical copy. Any books you've gifted or you just think everybody should read? I don't know if I have one that everyone should read, but I, I actually just finished one the other night. It was a, a fictional book based on a, a story about World War II. And it was it was inspired by a true story, even though it was fictional. But I don't know why, but over the past couple of years, I've I've really become obsessed with studying World War One or reading books about World War One and World War Two. And I think everybody really at some point needs to read a history book, right? About what happened so long ago, 80, 100 years ago, and 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 really find out, you know, and understand what the world went through and what they overcame. And and I just I think it's so interesting. And and I'm a I'm a big believer in history. I'm a, I'm always a big believer in looking at the past and making sure that we learn from it so that it never repeats. But I love anything to do with a World War II book. Um I'll buy it. I love those type of books. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's say the calendar is empty. What are you doing to unwind outside of work? I, I don't have much time to unwind. Um, I have I have two teenagers uh, who are both active in their, their sports. I have a, a junior, a daughter who's a junior, and she's a junior competitive golfer. So she plays a lot around the Southeast part of the United States. So we're always, I feel like always at a golf course. Um, and when we're not at always at a golf course, then we kind of split our time with my son, who's a sophomore and he's a, he's a baseball player, varsity baseball player. And he, he's on a travel showcase team during the summer. So most people at JMFA, they laugh because they know if I'm not at the office, I'm either on a golf cart or I am sitting in a stand somewhere at a baseball field, but absolutely love it. I'm, I'm ready for spring and summer to be here so that I can watch them play. It's the best time of my year is watching the kids play. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Well, we're going to link to everything we talked about today in the show notes, all the way down to the, the Lululemon. But my last question <laughs> for you <laughs> is, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share or final asks of our listeners today? No, you know, I really appreciate the time and the opportunity to to talk to everyone about our program, you know, and um, I'm, I'm hoping you also link my contact information out there and I'm open for conversations. If anybody just wants to reach out and pick my brain, you know, and find out what, what I'm hearing in the marketplace and what we're uncovering and coming across, we'd love the opportunity. But, you know, I think 
my final, I'm going to get on my soapbox here real quick. My, my final thought is, and I tell people this all the time, check your vendor contracts, look for the expiration dates, don't let them auto renew. Um, whether you use a consultant or not, don't let them auto renew. Make the vendors earn your business every time. And uh, when you don't do that, when you let those contracts auto renew, you are going to be paying really crazy high rates at the end of that term, especially if it's rolling for maybe like a, a you know an original term of a five year. So check your contracts, give them a non-renewal notice and make them earn your business. Well, that is a perfect way to wrap up. We will link to your contact information, Kelly, so that anybody who's interested can can get in touch with you, pick your brain, learn more about the work that you do. And uh, definitely sounds like there's a ton of value in uh, partnering with JMFA. So thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been a blast. Thanks, Lauren. I appreciate it. Well, stay well. And thank you to all of our listeners today for tuning into the CU Insight Network podcast. And we will be back again next time. 